Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Of course, we have to look back, right, and understand that they were just defeated at Ai. Uh, Achan had disobeyed the Lord. When they conquered Jericho, he had taken articles of wealth from Jericho against God's command. That sin of taking from God had polluted uh, spiritually the nation of Israel. When they went to go try to defeat Ai, they were soundly defeated and uh, many men died uh, during that attack. God is now saying, do not be afraid. And it would, right? Defeat does that to you, doesn't it? Where you charge out into whatever it is you think God has called you to do, and you don't perform your best, you fail miserably, or some various degree that is not perfect performance, and uh, you're very shy about making another attempt. You hold back. It's especially difficult if you've... Uh, you know, mustered all your strength and taken a second run at it and wrecked yourself twice and, uh, you know, take something like addiction and you're going to conquer that and you take another run at it and you're defeated and another and another and another until eventually it comes to the point where not even going to try, you know. You might have something spur in your heart that says, hey, you need to be free of this and... Why don't you give it another shot and you spend a little bit of time just processing through your current state and your previous failures and you decide, never mind, I'm not going to waste the time. The Lord is saying here, don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Listen, you guys, please hear me in this. Never stop trying. Never stop fighting. Never give up. Continue to listen to the Lord, continue to fight, continue to push. Let God have his victory. Very often what happens in the process is you are shown by the Lord where it is that Achan exists inside your own heart. The things that you should have gotten rid of long ago and the way the Lord's going to deliver you through the process. And interestingly enough, your previous defeats actually contribute to your victory. In this case, it happens very directly for uh, Joshua as he begins this. So, and you shall do to Ai <clears throat> and its king, as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil and its cattle, you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Lay an ambush is very different than what they've done previously. I do want to take a moment and point out, he said right there in the end of verse 2, you shall take as plunder for yourselves all of these articles. If Achan had just waited, right? Just wait. And God is going to fulfill these things. Instead, right, Achan lets covetousness fill his heart. And he goes in and he takes prematurely. I cannot tell you how many times I have watched people wreck themselves doing this. 
And I'm not thinking of any of you in this room. I have no one in mind. Okay. Uh, but I have, I have witnessed many people do this in regard to marriage. They have pursued elements of the relationship, sexual experience, things of that nature that belong inside the marriage. They've pursued them before the marriage occurs. And it's, it's interesting that uh, sometimes the backlash of payment doesn't come until much further down the road. How it affects the marriage and how it affects the relationship. Uh, that betrayal of God. And it is a betrayal of God in the process. Right? I, I've seen many, the person, uh, let their loneliness consume them. And, uh, you know, it isn't even about... Uh, you know, participating in sexual sin. It's a matter of I'm just going to go get somebody. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go down to the bar and I'm going to find somebody that's nearly a Christian and I'm going to bring them in and I'm going to make them mine and I'll finish the process of evangelizing them and then they'll become a Christian and it'll be a wonderful thing. I'm going to move ahead of God and I'm going to go get what I want. And now they're on the other side of that, going now. How do I get rid of this? How, how, or how do I, you know, fix this? How do I change this person? How do I fulfill God's promise? The waiting. The waiting. I've already waited 25 years. Wait more. You know, if I'll set up private meetings for you with people who have rushed ahead of God, and you can have conversations with them about the heartache and decide whether that's something you want to participate in. Let God. My whole dating advice for people is... Take Adam's process and use that one, right? That's really wise. Just, you know, the way that Adam found his wife, just God knocked him out and he woke up and there she was. You know, that's how it worked. You know, go to sleep. Let your flesh go to sleep. Right? Stop stimulating it. Let it go to sleep. And let God bring you who you are supposed to have. So I've dwelt on that too long already. Verse 3. Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up to Ai, against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. 30,000 mighty men of valor, right? What was their attitude before? Remember that? Nothing. Ai, we're going to crush it. No big deal, really. A couple thousand, 3,000 guys max. Two, 3,000 guys. Send them up. They will throttle them, and we'll be back before dinner. It'll be fine, you know. And they they were soundly defeated, soundly defeated, and had to have a whole series of funerals. Right, the men who had been killed, families lost, husbands gone, fathers destroyed, because they didn't follow God's plan. They've got an entirely different approach here. Thirty thousand mighty men. These are highly skilled warriors. He commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. So stealth all the way through this. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us, as at the first, that we shall flee before them. For they will come after us, 
till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. <clears throat> Therefore we will flee before them. Then you shall arise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be, when you have taken the city, that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. So I want to just touch on a few things within this. You get the picture of the plan and the ambush. Uh, you go in behind. Get yourself tucked away and hidden. We'll come at the front of the city. They'll see us. They'll come out. We'll run. They'll follow. Then you guys come in, destroy everything, and then we'll have them pinned between you and us. That's the plan. Ambush from behind. So I want to give us a few thoughts for ourselves in regard to this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, the apostle tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us about the war we are in and the whole armor of God we will need in order to fight and survive. I see, unfortunately, within Christianity a great weakness and an unpreparedness. People don't have grit and they have a very soft attitude and they let things happen. They just lay down and let the enemy steamroll us. God has called us to warfare, called us to resistance. Armor is needed, particularly there in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 17. It says that we will need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You have to be a student of the scripture. There's no way around it. If you've, You need to have a Bible in your hand. You come to this church, you should have a Bible in your hand. You should be looking at what we're studying. When you leave, you should be examining what we've read and seeing with whether what we're teaching is accurate or not. This needs to be something you own. Right? <clears throat> I, I have received many phone calls and I have received many text messages from people who find themselves in spiritual warfare and they're trying to remember that answer. They're trying to remember that verse, and now they're shooting me a text. You know, Pastor Google, could you please tell me? What is that verse about the thing with the stuff? And I send it back to them. Here's what I'm encouraging you. You can become that skilled. Okay? Through constant repetition. You know, people will often say to me, man, you got such a you know memory. You can remember all these things and numbers and statistics and circumstances. Yes, because I've studied and read them 1,836,922 times. You know what I'm saying? We, I just go over this and over this and over this constantly. This is how I retain. I write it down. I keep it. I store it. I, I go back and I recall it. You know, uh, my computer, I don't know if you've noticed this, you know, that, that whole algorithm thing. You type something into your computer and it starts launching back answers before you even finish, you know, you know, uh, hey, Google, where do I find whatnot? <clears throat> and your thing is sent us all of my algorithm is biblical. I start typing in, you know, where can I go skiing? And it's typing back about, you know, Mount Hermon in the scripture is looking at like, well, OK, you know, it's a, 
And I'm left thinking, like, I should go ski Mount Hermon someday. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Because the constant work, the constant search, everything I'm doing is focused on this. We need to be highly skilled warriors in the church. Not that you can destroy people. Not that you can harm people, right? So that you can contend for the truth. So that you can deliver yourself from temptation. So that you can deliver others from bondage. There is a war on. Between truth and lies. The word of God is going to be the thing that destroys that whole process. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, Paul speaks of the weapons of our warfare, right? Not being carnal, but mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations, and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are in a war, and you must be prepared, right? <clears throat> Imagine being a Ukrainian, right? And yesterday you were in the park and you bought yourself a coffee and you were hanging out with your friends. And today there's a Russian flag outside your window and bombs are falling. You're suddenly wishing, right? You had certain skill sets and certain weaponry and certain capabilities because you're now in an environment that requires you to be skilled at warfare. At least in how to escape war. You're in a war. A war for your very soul. The author of Hebrews makes the observation that Joshua's physical battles could not fulfill all of God's promises for peace. The spiritual battle is still ongoing. Yeah. Quoting Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 8, it says, If Joshua had given them rest, like we're reading about right here in Joshua chapter 8, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his works when he created six days and then rested on the seventh. Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. During the encounter with the centurion in Matthew chapter 8 at verses 8 through 10, Jesus makes the strongest statements about the importance of believers recognizing and obeying authorities that are over us, like military ranking, within Christianity, right? What does Jesus say? He stops everybody there in the moment and points to the centurion and says, I have never seen faith like this, not even in Israel. Forget all of the pagan unbelieving world, not even in that which is the nation of God. I've never seen faith like this, Jesus is saying. The centurion simply said, I understand authority. You don't have to come to my house. You say the word and it will be so. 
I am, I am also a man under authority. Rank and file, order and authority within Christianity is very important and very significant. It is war, and there must be clear tactics and orders and obedience given within the church. Think about the disarray the church is in today, right? Think about the way we don't like to be told to do anything, right? We, we, we like to be fiercely independent. I often point out, if you've been here any amount of time, right, You've heard me talk about there's only, there's 10 commandments in Christianity, right? The law is massive. Take all of Leviticus and all of Deuteronomy and all the scripture has to say about following the ordinance of God. The law, the rules, the regulations, big. In Satanism, Anton LaVey wrote the Satanic Bible and he summarized the whole of their belief system in one commandment. And he said, for the Satanist, do whatever you want. That shall be the whole of our law. Do whatever you want. That's Satanism at its core. And think about that. How much of our nation is actually, they call themselves Christians, but they're actually engaged in Satanism. Right? You know, it's, it's remarkable to me to see a rebellion and people admiring it. Yeah, I know the word of God says that. Don't really care. Doesn't apply to me. I've chosen my own path. This is what I'm doing. Right? Jesus said, those who love me, obey me. Right? Some, some of you, I, I know your particular circumstances, some of you have powerful, very, very powerful desires inside your physical frame that are incredibly sinful. And you have made the decision of, I will not obey those things. I will obey Christ with my life. Uh, that that is that is a very powerful thing in the life of a believer obedience following god's plan seeing what that obedience produces back to joshua chapter 8 verse 9 now you're beginning to think i am going to go really long aren't you so here we are joshua chapter 8 verse 9 joshua therefore sent them out and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between bethel and ai on the west side of Ai, but Joshua lodged that night among the people. Two things. There is an unspoken wisdom here of you need to act as a barrier for us between Bethel and Ai. Why? Because Bethel could join Ai and conquer us in the process. So make your hiding place between us and them. We, we need to have this for ourselves as a, a protection. Secondly, Joshua stays amongst the people. If an attack's going to come in the middle of the night, if AI or others become aware of their military movements in preparation, they're going to fall upon the camp. Joshua stays right in their midst. That's admirable, that a leader stays in the fight. He stays in the mix. He stays amongst the people. He doesn't make himself some special provision. Verse 10, then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people. And went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai and all the people of war who were with him, went up and drew near. And they came before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. 
when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. So again, he does this thing in preparation to see what's about to happen. Verse 14, now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. And he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel. See that? Bethel empties out too, just as Joshua had anticipated that Bethel was going to join in this fight who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. It's very interesting, the preparations and the way that God has prepared them for this circumstance. Their de previous defeat is playing into this present victory. Right? They came against the city once. City came out attacked. They fled. City overtook them, destroyed the army. Come again. City comes out against them. They flee as they did before. And AI is filled with a confidence of these guys keep attacking, but they're a bunch of cowards. So let's just go mow them down like we did last time. This is a ploy. Verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, and this is significant. Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. Serious students of the scripture, you should remember, right? Exodus chapter 17 at verse 11, Moses raised his hands and held them up as long as his hands were in the air. Uh, Israel prevailed against their enemies as they started to drop. They started to fail in the battle. And then you remember, right? Aaron and Hur came and helped hold Moses' hands up, and victory prevailed throughout the day. Drop down. Keep your place there at verse 18. Drop down to verse 26 of Joshua chapter 8. Joshua did not draw back his hand with he, which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. There's a similarity in this. Raise your spear against these people and keep the spear raised. And as long as you do, you will have victory. It's a little different, but it has the discipleship tone of what he learned from Moses now being applied. Drop down to verse 19. So those in the ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it, hurried and set the city on fire. When the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. So they draw them fully out of the city, set the city on fire, and now all of those soldiers are in front of Ai, which is burning behind them. All 
of the people of Ai are now trapped between them and Joshua. And Joshua now turns around and collapses back upon pincer move, classic military flanking in the process. Joshua, in verse 21, when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush, had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, he turned back and struck down the men of Ai, and the others came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. This was something that commonly happened in warfare of that day is uh, the symbolic ending of the conflict by in a ceremonial method, putting the leader of the army or the king to death came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness where they pursued them. And when they had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword, meaning all of the people that were living there. So it happened that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he had stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. That's again referring back up to Joshua chapter 8, verse 18. Something that's uh, interesting in this is you see all of the inhabitants of Ai destroyed, and if your heart sinks over the thought of the cruelty, the injustice of God just slaughtering a people in this way, uh, four, more than 400 years earlier in Genesis chapter 15, uh, verses 13 through 16, God is speaking to Abram, right? His name hasn't even been changed to Abraham yet. He said, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. That was referring to their bondage in Egypt. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, Abram, uh, you know, passing away. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, meaning Israel, the 400 years, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God was seeing the sin of Ai and all these other nations and cities grow. And he was sending his messengers to them and telling them to stop living in sin and to repent. And they were refusing to. Uh, I've described to you before, in particular, they were incredibly murderous. They murdered their neighbors, they murdered uh, neighboring nations, they murdered their own people, they murdered their children in acts of idolatrous worship. And God is continuously sending messages to them, telling them to stop. And they don't. 400 years pass, and now apparently God has reached the point where he's saying the sins of the Amorites are full or complete. And now he's sending Israel in to judge them. 
So all of that puts God's character in a place where he can't be ridiculed, but it also kind of makes me nervous about our nation and the fact that we are doing things that are very reflective of what these nations were doing. It was uh, Billy Graham that long ago said, if God does not punish America, then he will be forced to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, clearly he's not going to do that. So, judgment. Uh, Back in Joshua chapter 8, verse 27, only the livestock and the spoil of the city, Israel took as plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. Again, if only Achan had waited, he would have been part of this plundering. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the city gate and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Joshua was actually obeying Deuteronomy chapter 21, beginning at verse 22, where the Lord said to the nation of Israel, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he has put to death and you hang him on a tree, as an example, public display of execution, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. God understands that public execution and capital punishment are a great deterrent to others who would behave in similar ways. We have a whole social justice warrior system around us that thinks that, oh, we can't punish people who are criminals. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Maine is in the process right now of going through all of our laws and changing the language of our laws so that it doesn't insult the criminals. We're paying massive sums of money to go through our law and change it just so it reads in a nicer way. I'm not making that up. Remove terms like criminal and addict and thief and thievery. Just redefine, change everything, you know, because, you know, you really want to be very concerned about how you're affecting criminals emotionally. Apparently, so uh, think about that whole process. Joshua chapter 8, verse 30. I'm going to finish this out, right? We're going to get right through it. Ready? Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel, Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel. And we're going to discuss that specifically uh, just a little bit as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. First, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, the Lord said, An altar of earth you shall make for me. You shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. So as you move 
at that point through the wilderness altars of nothing more than earth. As their dwelling places become more permanent, it changes in Deuteronomy chapter 27 at verse 5, where the Lord says, There you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. No tools of carving to create symbols of ornate beauty on his altar. God and the offering that is made to him is to be the only thing that the people focus on. Uh, there's something about that that the church misses as it creates grand cathedrals in ornate places with the thought that somehow all of that beauty is going to make people more committed to God. Right? Europe is full of locations that are owned by the governments that were previously churches that today are nightclubs and apartments and storage facilities, right? Massive, millions of dollars in stained glass, literally. And uh, it's a storage unit. It's a nightclub. It doesn't draw people any closer to God, right? the sincerity of heart. Verse 32, and there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, Moses said in regard to the kings that they would have in the future, also it shall be when he, meaning the king or the ruler, sits on the throne of his kingdom, then he shall write for himself a copy of this law in the book from the one before the priests of the Levites. If you have to hand copy the law, that might help you observe and obey the law a little bit better. So Joshua is mimicking what the scriptures have said. Verse 33, Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests of the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger as well as he was born among them. Half of them went in front of of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. Um, there's a big explanation mix missing right there, right? Uh, where they are now doing this is 30 miles away from Ai. They, they finish this conquest and then they hike 30 miles on foot to this location to perform the following ceremony. So follow this. Afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the people, the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, the strangers who were living Amongst them, the whole word of God presented to them, particularly the blessings and the cursings is what they are concentrating on here. Uh, Mount Gerizim, very green and lush. Mount Ebal, barren, rock, desert, wilderness-like. Green and lush, they say amen to every time there's a blessing pronounced. <laughs> and every time uh, there's a curse pronounced, Ebal says amen. And we need to be the same. 
you hear the word of God and sometimes it has great promises for you. And you can say amen. And sometimes it confronts you very strongly. And you have to also say amen. Right? The Lord's correction and the way that he speaks. I've dwelt on the word. I've talked about our method here a little bit. I want to close with just one set of verses from Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 26. Paul said, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That, that set of verses is why we as a movement, Calvary Chapel, and we as a church, Calvary Chapel Down East, teach from Genesis to Revelation. Because otherwise, you may be guilty of the blood of the people who sit and learn. If you're only focusing on the things you enjoy, only focusing on the things you want to concentrate on, if you're not declaring the whole counsel of God's word to the listener, then there's an accountability in that. So we must study the whole word of God together. And as we do, when it blesses us, we say amen. And when it pronounces a curse, we have to say amen also. Because it is the word of God. Does this make sense to us this morning? Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, we are very blessed that you've given us this place and you've drawn us together. We thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to follow you. Help us to obey you. Help us to agree with you. Fill us with your spirit. Accomplish your work through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.